Psalm chapter 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Every psalm, of course, is practical. Every psalm is like going to a counselor to ask for help amidst the various emotions that we find in the psalms. But today, we find a psalm that is very practical because it addresses how we are to prepare for worship. And children, if you're in the room, listen for me. Adults who have a child's heart, listen for these three words. Listen for oil change, skunk spray, and worship service. Keep your ears open. See if you can remember where I talk about each of those points throughout the course of the sermon. Psalm 15 is a psalm that introduces us to the man who is rightly prepared to worship the Lord. Not long ago, I took my car in for an oil change, and you've done this too. You take your car in, and all you really want to have done is your oil changed. But they go through an inspection, don't they? And they take you all the way through their inspections, and they say, in addition to your oil change, we will give you a multi-point inspection. And so they check the brakes, and they check the belts, and they check the fluids, and they have a look over your entire car. They look at your car, and they inspect it even though you just went in for an oil change. And sometimes they'll come out to us and say, you know, your timing belt is loose, or your brake pads are worn, or your transmission fluid is low, or you're leaking this, or have you checked on this, you're treading your tire. There's a whole range of things that they could come back and suggest that needs further service. But they give you a multi-point inspection. And here David comes to us in Psalm 15, and it's as though he's giving to us as Christians, to you and to me, to all of us who profess faith in Christ, a kind of multi-point inspection for worship. Now, I don't know about you, but for those of us who grew up going to church all of our life, you have formed over time a kind of liturgy of preparation for your Sunday mornings, whether you're conscious or it's a totally unconscious to you. And most of us come to Sunday morning with, we just want to get through the door. Like, we just want to survive. We want to get our kids fed and clothed, and we want to get ourselves clothed, and we want to get to worship. And sometimes we get to worship, and it's 10.15, even though we started at 10 o'clock, and we're just glad to get there. But this is an opportunity for us in this psalm not to beat you up. This is not the intent of David. But it is to show us what is it like for us to rightly prepare our hearts for worship so that we may be able to experience the depth and breadth and joy of worship together with God's people. So, here we go. He asks two very, very simple questions. 
O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? In Hebrew, the word sojourn means to be a pilgrim. It's the idea that worship is both a pilgrimage and it's also a resting place. Who shall pilgrim to your holy hill and find rest there? Your holy hill, of course, is a reference to Jerusalem. In Isaiah 66, it says, And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on uh, dromedaries to the holy mountain. Jerusalem, says the Lord. And here the psalmist paints the worshiper as an eager guest, a pilgrimage, coming to worship, a homecoming. What kind of worshipers and pilgrims should we be? Do we value our spiritual health as much as we value our cars, frankly? You take your car in every three months for an oil change. And the Lord asks us every seven days to check our hearts and ask us if we're ready for worship. So, ten questions we should ask ourselves. A ten-point sermon. Gulp. We'll go fast. Here we go. Number one, have you justified sin or hidden sin from God? Verse 2 says, he who walks blamelessly. In Hebrew, it's the, it's the negative of the Hebrew word tamim, which, which means wholehearted or to be sound or to be a person of integrity. Have you walked in integrity this week? In other words, have you justified sin or have you hidden sin from the Lord? Question number one. Where are you living a double life? Write it down. Where are you afraid of being discovered? Is there something hidden that you'd be afraid someone to discover to your shame? Have you justified sin or hidden sin from the Lord? Have you walked, as the psalmist says, David says, blamelessly? Second, have you been honest, especially with your words? The second part of verse 2 says, and he speaks truth in his heart. In Hebrew it says, the one that speaks truth that is in his heart. That is to say that, uh, it's a Hebrew way of saying that you form a truthful statement in your mind and then you honestly communicate that statement in your speech. In other words, are you who you say you are? Have you been honest, especially with your words? Do you speak truth in your heart? Very practical questions. Have you hidden or justified sin? Have you been honest? especially with your words. Number three, I told you I'd go fast. Are you ready? Number three, have you used words to make yourself look better at someone else's expense? Verse 3a says, who does not slander with his tongue? The word slander in Hebrew is, is almost synonymous with the word scandal. It's, have you gone around? Have you made an in run around other people? Someone who doesn't cause harm to others by their words. Have you raised yourself up by putting other people down? 
in the 18th century, there was a group of men who um, were Westland. They, they were, well, they were Westland. Their last name was Westland. I guess that would make them Westland. The Wesleyan church descended from John and Charles Wesley. They were the first Wesleyans. They were the Wesley brothers. And they had a group of friends in college who they wanted to hold each other accountable. Right, today, men might say, I'm struggling with porn. Can you help hold me accountable? Or women might say, I'm struggling with this certain area of my life. Would you help me with, with um, this area of my life? And these guys got together when they were at Oxford in college and said, we are struggling in our holiness. So we want to hold each other accountable. So they created a list of 22 questions that they asked themselves every time they got together. And the first question is, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? with my words. In other words, am I Facebook marketing myself long before Facebook ever came around with the way that I talk about myself? Am I giving people the impression that I'm smarter, richer, brighter, more put together than I really am? It's a good question. And that's what David is asking us here. Do you make yourself look better at somebody else's expense who does not slander with his tongue? Verse 3a. First question, have you justified sin or hidden sin from God? Second question, have you been honest, especially with your words? Third question, have you used words to make yourself look better at someone else's expense? Fourth question, is there anyone you exclude from worship or ignore at worship? There's a a new restaurant in my hometown uh, many years ago when I was uh, growing up. And one day after uh, two days in football, it was the August heat in Texas where it's like 100 degrees at 8 a.m. and we were wiped out, exhausted. And so a group of us decided to go to Mimi's Cafe, this new place in downtown Wichita Falls. And we pulled up to this place, all these football boys, sweaty and gross and we didn't even get out of our car before this lady, it was a new restaurant, had gotten good reviews, and this lady who came out of the restaurant with a chef's hat on, who greeted us at the door and said, my family, my family is here, welcome. And we got out of the car and we saw this woman and she hugged us, it was awkward, we were sweaty, it was weird, and she said, come on in, I've already thrown the hush puppies in. And Mimi, the owner of the store, had welcomed us. It was an amazing sign of hospitality. No wonder she got rave reviews. She came out of her way to greet every person that came in the restaurant and say, come on in, you're part of our family. And she treated us like family at Mimi's Cafe. Mimi was a picture to us of God that day. And so also, Trinity should be that picture to Owasso. Oh, welcome to our family. Come in. We are so glad to see you. We have food to provide you. It's not much, but it's everything. The Lord's bread and wine. Come. Who do you exclude or ignore at worship? A friend of mine was, was uh, preaching in a, a small church in Mississippi, and he was in seminary. It was a very small church, and there was like 10 people there, and he said, this, this is not going to work. Uh, we've got to get more people around. And so he put up uh, 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 signs around town to advertise to come to this church. And, and um, you know, anytime that you have a church, if you're, 
anytime you have a church service in the rural Mississippi South, right, and it's not on Sunday morning, and you're calling people to go together, you know what they call that, right? Call it a revival. So he was going to have a revival service and start preaching at this church other times. And he was putting signs all, all the way around town. And one woman who was in the church, the old matriarch of the church, walked up to him and said, Sonny, Sonny, you can go here to put up your signs. But when you go across those tracks, do not put your signs up over there. And he said, well, why not? Put the sign up everywhere you go. He goes, no, we want people to come to the church, but we don't want those people to come to church. And we kind of laugh at stories like that, think, oh, that's years ago. Is it? We want people in our church who, frankly, you may not want to be with any other place. But we want to be a church that welcomes people and says, welcome home. Welcome to our family. Come on in. It's like in Luke 15 when, when the story of the prodigal son, you know, he came to the end of himself. He was feeding his face on the pods of pigs, and he realized that his father's hired hands had more than that. And he said, I will go to my father, and I will say, oh, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be in your sight. And he comes over the hill, and the father picks up his shavar kamis and runs to his son, and he brings him in his arms. He says, welcome home. I love you. I missed you. Welcome home. And the son who felt like his father would never bring, accept him back kisses him do you do you know the kiss of your father and if you do wouldn't you want other people to experience that too come welcome home we lord help us never to be like the older brother in that house who with scorn looked down his nose at his younger brother and said Father, you never gave me a party. The Christians who have always been in church are looking at those who are coming to church for the first time, and they're like, they're five points to tulip. Do you know any of them? Mm-mm-mm. How many books are there in the Bible? Oh, I'm sorry. Guys, we live in an uneducated world biblically. And when you hold your dogma out as a point of entry for people, you are repelling them. The way that you hold dogma out is by holding your arms open wide for people who do not look like you, wear clothes like you, talk like you, and you embrace them and you welcome them. Is that happening in your community group? Like I know that you've employed me and Pastor Scott to help be the lead repenter and to be the lead recruiter in a sense, but do you do that in your community groups? Are you able to invite people a friend of mine was telling me that on his wedding night, on his wedding night, it was not his idea, by the way, but on his wedding night, his wife, his wife found a woman who came to their wedding who did not have a place to stay and let her stay in their hotel room. Holy shikes. That was not the wedding night he expected, I promise. But wouldn't that be amazing if we had such radical generosity that we were able to say to people who are so different from us, welcome to Trinity. We've got nothing in common, but we have Jesus. It's like Jean Valjean, remember in, in uh, Les Miserables, I'll get to point five in a minute, I promise. You know, in Les Miserables, where he has like 19 years, where he's in, the, uh, he's in prison for stealing a piece of bread. And he gets out of prison. Do you remember in Les Miserables, you've seen the movie, and he, and he looks to try to find a place that will welcome him. 
And he goes to the priest, and he, and he says to the priest, Sir, I'm desperate. And the priest says, We are humble people who do not have much to share, but what we have, we are called to share. And he gives them a meal. And you remember at a, at a point of weakness, Jean Valjean steals that silver candlestick. Do you remember that? And later he's found and he's arrested and he's caught. And the priest walks up to him. It's an amazing scene. And the priest takes another candlestick from that church. And when he receives back the candlestick from Jean Valjean, having been caught red-handed, the priest hands him another one and says, take these, brother. You're in need of them. We say we don't have silver candlesticks to give, but you have homes to give. You have meals to offer people. There are women who are single moms in this community who have never, it's, they've never been invited to another home. They're divorced. They're raising their children on their own. They feel like outcasts. They go to churches and they feel totally anonymous. They're afraid to be known because when they're known, they feel rejected. Oh, single moms, would you please come? Would you invite those friends to come to this church? And single dads, this is a place for you. And for the broken and for those who know that they are in need. And you know what, Trinity, that starts with me and that starts with you. Is there anyone you exclude from worship or you ignore? Five, do you think you're better than someone else? Verse 3c, the third line of, of uh, verse 3, it says, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor. Uh, in Hebrew, it's like, it does not lift up an insult against someone who is near to him. The word friend there is the Hebrew word for, really, for anyone. It's, 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 it's for any person. It's not just someone that you know who's a close acquaintance, although it doesn't exclude those, of course. It's another person. Proverbs 14, 21 says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Do you think you're better than someone? This, this weekend, there's one weekend a year where my father-in-law calls his sons-in-law to report for duty. <laughs> and this was the weekend that, that, uh, that my brother-in-law and, uh, and, um, and uh, my other brother-in-law, my uh, Lauren's brother and then our brother-in-law John come together in hominy for a weekend at the ranch and we always stay up too late we're redoing pump houses and we're trying to get things ready for uh, you know the the, the ranch uh, over the course of the year and we stayed up way too late on uh, one of the first nights we were together and we're about to go to bed and all of a sudden one of my brother and uh, brothers-in-law whose name is John Ainsworth starts screaming at his dog Hank Hank Hank, no, 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 Hank, Hank, come, heal. And we were like, what is going on? And there's nothing, there's nothing more fun than watching a grown man run after a fancy dog like these Labradoodles are who is running after a skunk. And so John Ainsworth is like screaming. It's like beyond midnight. Hank, 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 Hank. He's going to wake up the kids. Hank, Hank. And this dog, fancy Labradoodle dog, traps this skunk, and he is about to mess this skunk up when all of a sudden the tables turn and psh, and then you see John running as fast as he can and the dog running as fast as it can and the skunk just sitting there boasting about how proud he is. And I kid you not, that 
Labradoodle dog ran as fast as his little legs could take him with his face in the grass, running a 40-yard dash, burning a hole in the grass to get the smell off of him, right in the face, sprayed by the skunk. And we, we didn't know what to do with this dog. It's past midnight. You can't take him inside. He smells horrible. When you come to worship, are you running from the people who smell or are you admitting that you're the one that's got the skunk spray all over him? We had to tie the dog up until the next day until we were able to get the tomato bath concoction all ready for him to be bathed. But at worship, you come to a different kind of concoction, don't you? You come, not to tomato juice, but you come to the blood of Christ to wash in it. Friends, you are like fancy labradoodle dogs who probably think far too much of yourself, who have been sprayed by a skunk. And you're trying desperately to get the smell off of you, and you can't because sin infects the depths of your soul. And the only way to be freed from that is if someone else bathes you. And that's what the supper is for. Do you think you're better than someone else? Do you take up a reproach against your friend? Question six, do you excuse sin in others because it's easier? David goes on to say, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. Listen, a worshiper doesn't excuse sin in his friend just because it's easier. No, a worshiper who sees a friend in need because he's trapped by sin goes to him and says, brother, heads, I, listen, we made vows together in our church to love you, and I know the elders are supposed to do this. It's kind of their job. But it's also my job as a brother who loves you. Like, I just want to give you a heads up of what I see. And is that, am I seeing that right? Can you help me understand why, why I'm seeing that? Do you excuse sin in other people because it's easier? You have a friend who's got a drinking problem. Do you just ignore it? Oh, he'll get over it. Maybe you're the one that the Lord intends to step into their life to help them. Do you have relationships with sinners in such a way that you might be able to have that kind of conversation with them, especially those who profess faith in Christ? Because the church is not a church where the people who are inside the church are good and the people who are outside the church are bad. The church is a place where people still are bad. Being redeemed and being made more like Christ ever, 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 in my case, so slowly made more like Jesus together. Do you excuse sin in others because it's easier? The Hebrew term means to uh, God rejects someone because of their godless behavior. And when God rejects them, are you one who is able to stand square-footed and look at them in the eye and say, brother, what you're doing is sin? Or do you simply, for the sake of convenience, ignore it? Members of the church, please listen to me. You made vows together to promote the purity of the church together. That means that you shouldn't wait. Some of you are like, well, why, why aren't the elders around more? Why aren't the elders involved in my life more? We are trying to be, desperately trying to be involved in each of your lives. We want to be in your homes. We want to love you at community groups. We want to be there for you. But one of the reasons why we don't have all the time in the world to be with you is because we're dealing with some significant cases that take a lot of time. And the way that you can best pray for your elders is not only praying for them, but being in each other's lives so much so that you're helping people recognize areas where they need help long before things begin to implode. 
Does that make sense? The church is meant to be organic and living, active. And so we should therefore step into each other's lives and not excuse sin because it's easy or it's convenient. Question number seven. Do you keep holy reverence for God? Verse four says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but the contrast, who honors those who fear the Lord. Are you aware that God is the creator and that you are the creature? Do you have a trust in his sovereign rule and reign in your life? And do you come to worship with an expectation, despite all the distractions and the smell? Do you smell the lacquer on the floor today? The smell, just another distraction. You're able to come, even amidst the distractions, and say, we are standing in the presence of the holy God. And there is no area of my life that is off limits to him. Question number eight. Are you true to your word even when it is at your own expense? Verse 4b, it says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Are you true to your own word in Hebrew? It means to take an oath even to your own harm. To do harm does not uh, mean, of course, harm others. It means to take an oath even to your own harm. Husbands, how are you doing in your wedding vows? Are you loving your brides? Wives, how are you doing to your husbands? Are you being faithful to him? Members of the church, how are, you being faithful? are you being faithful to the vows you took together? The vows that you take. Men, do you have to have 50-page contracts written up with every decision you make? Or do people know that because you shook hands on it, you're good for it? Are you true to your word even at your own expense? Do you make firm commitments and then renege on your promises? Are you at places at the time you'll say that you'll be? I know that time is kind of a cultural thing, and if you lived in Spain, you'd be 30 minutes late and you're on time. But in, in here, time is important to most people. And so do you honor them by being on time? When you say, I'll be there at 10, will you be there at 10? Pray for me to do that because you know if you've ever had lunch with me that I'll be there five minutes after I say I'll be there. Are you true to your word? Nine. Verse five says, who does not put out money at interest? Now, before I give you the question, let me just say that Jesus is not against interest. Of course, he assumes it in the parable of the talents. He commends positively interest with a man who invested his money in a bank and gained interest from it. Do you remember that in Matthew chapter 25? Jesus is not against interest, but what it means here is that do you take advantage of your brother's misfortune? Notice in verse 5 it says, these come together, who does not put money out at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. In other words, are you, are you taking advantage of your brother's misfortune by charging an interest to his detriment? Are you generous and are you others aware? Are you not simply concerned with making a profit on the back of somebody else? And number 10, are you honest in your financial dealings? Verse 5b, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Does money rule you, persuade you, contour you into its image? 
It's interesting, isn't it, that David gives us a kind of multi-point inspection here in the psalm where he asks us about our own life, our heart. Are we men and women of integrity? Then he asks about us about our tongues. How do we use our words? And then he asks us, are we aware of the needs of others around us? And then he asks us about our use of money. A multi-point inspection. Let me give those questions to you again for those of you who are note takers. Question number one, have you justified sin or hidden sin from God? Have you been honest, especially with your words? Have you used words, number three, to make yourself look better at someone else's expense? Question four, is there anyone you exclude from worship or ignore at worship? Number five, do you think you're better than someone? Six, do you excuse sin in others because it's easier? Seven, do you keep a holy reverence for God? Eight, are you true to your word even at your own expense? Nine, have you traded on your brother's misfortune? And 10, are you honest in your financial dealings? And then the very last line of the psalm gives us a bonus point. And David gives to us the gospel. It's beautiful. Look at it with me. He who does these things shall never be moved. Who of us can say we do these things every week? I can't. But the good news of the gospel is, of course, that Christ himself does these things. He was despised. He did not ridicule back. He did not insult. He kept his mouth closed while they beat him and crucified him. Christ was one who was faithful with his money, even as Judas was not. Christ was the one who was faithful with what he said. He was the one who was faithful in his heart. He was a faithful one. And so in him we come to worship, and in him we shall never be moved, ever. And if you're here this morning and you come to worship, you say, I, don't need, I blew seven of those. Now is the time to see the beauty of your Savior who fulfills every single one of those and to see Psalm 15 for what it is, a multi-point inspection for you to see your Savior who fulfills every one of these clauses and lines perfectly for you so that you can run and sing and dance in the midst of worship knowing of his great love for you. Isaiah 54 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills shall be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Christian, how are we doing? Are you able to worship the Lord in spirit and truth? Now we come empty-handed. Unable to do perhaps any of those ten. And we come in just a moment to the table. Not with our accolades of how we fulfilled all ten of these things and how we're good with God, but actually how we, if we're honest, know that we have struggled with some of these and we come empty-handed to his table where we again can be fed. Like Jean Valjean, who the Lord can say, oh, Lord, what I have is everything. And I withhold nothing from you and I give you the very body and blood of my son to strengthen you in your journey. Trinity, can we be a church that learns to grow in our preparation for worship? Inside your bulletin, you'll find a list, at least on the front side. It's a two-sided handout if you come to our membership class, but you just got the front this week. 
Are you able to prepare your hearts for worship and do you have eager expectations for what God expects and plans to do in and through you? Read through this together with your roommate or your husband or wife or your children and pray that when you come to worship next week on the 15th, that the Lord might prepare you well to come and worship him in spirit and truth because your Savior says, come all who are heavy and burdened and who labor and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you as those who have been saturated with sin. Our hearts are idol-making factories. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to grow in holiness by looking to you. And the rebound of looking to you allows us to grow in holiness. Father, would you protect us from being Pharisees, working in our own might to be holy outside of the power of your Holy Spirit but through repentance and joy. Father, would you mold us more and more into your image, and would you help us now to be the kind of people who are invited to come and dwell on your holy hill, to sojourn and to dwell at your tent, to rest in your presence. And so feed us, we pray, with your body and blood in just a moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Christians, we believe that we do not belong to ourselves and nothing that we have belongs to us, but everything that we have is a stewardship that's given from God and is to be used for his glory and to be used to further his kingdom in the world. And in this part of our service, we acknowledge that visibly by giving back to him out of what we have. This is not the only time that we give. Um, on page 11 in your bulletin, there are six ways that are listed that you can also give um, between services or when it's more convenient for you. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess, I confess that I am often ruled by money and that I live my life with closed hands clutching the things that you give me. And not willing to give back to you. I pray that you will open my hands, open our hands and open our hearts, that you will take the gifts that we give you and that you will use them to further and prosper your kingdom in the world and bless us through them. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 